we'll look at the signs, symptoms, and treatments of pancreatic cancer, the role pancreatic cancer plays in uh, the role that clinical research plays in pancreatic cancer, as well as how Mastophio can assist pancreatic cancer patients throughout the entire journey. So without further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our first expert panelist, hematologist, oncologist, and Mastophio's very own chief medical officer and co-founder, Dr. Arturo Loeza Bonilla. Yeah. Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Hey, nice to see you too. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, so I see on top of being an oncologist, a hematologist, a chief medical officer, and a co-founder, you also have your master's in medical education. Um, what drew you to that? Well, you know, uh, something that I uh, was always uh, passionate about is, uh, you know, education. Uh, we as uh, physicians, we are supposedly uh, born, I guess, to be able to educate patients, uh, caregivers, uh, and each other. And I realized that there was a gap there. So I felt it was an opportunity for me to expand my professional background. And it was really successful in terms of getting uh, to know a lot of people interested in the space. And of course, gave me uh, the opportunity to uh, optimize to some extent the message that I convey to my patients and, and others. So it's, it's, it's great. Beautiful. And that's perfect for events like this, where you get to kind of help with patient education. Um, and I see that you also specialize in gastrointestinal malignancies like pancreatic cancer. Um, so perfect. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started with question number one. Um, so why does pancreatic cancer seem to be diagnosed so much later than other cancers? Yeah, so pancreatic cancer is a very silent disease. Um, so it's not that uh, folks don't get screened or they don't go to the doctor in time. You have perfectly healthy patients otherwise that all of a sudden uh, they start to have some symptoms and then the cancer shows up uh, on an incidental finding such as a CAT scan. Uh, or an ultrasound sometimes. So it, uh, the pancreas, uh, you know, is located in the back of the belly and the retroperitoneal uh, region. That means that if there is a mass there, it can grow, you know, unopposed. Uh, and when, when it does, it tends to uh, go against those vessels that are nearby to the pancreas and encase them. So what we know about the natural history of, of pancreatic cancer is that first it's a disease of the aging, but some folks that are young enough to also get it. Uh, but uh, it, it, when it presents, it presents in about 85% of the cases either locally advanced, that means that it's unresectable, it cannot be removed by surgery, or it's already advanced metastatic, so it has gone to places such, such as the liver and other organs. Uh, so um, that's what we call the stage four OS spread metastatic cancer. Wow. Um, we know that it. We know that there are a lot of um, really strong symptoms. They either don't show up at all or they're mild, like you said. Is there anything that people should be on the lookout for just in case? If you were going to catch a symptom, what would the symptoms of pancreatic cancer be? Yes. So um, one of the things that, I mean, of course, it's all anecdotal because there's no real guidelines right now of who should we screen earlier or not. Um, but if someone has, for example, unexplained weight loss, uh, that means losing more than 10% of your body weight in the last six months in an unintentional fashion, that should be concerning. If you, if you start having changes in your bowel patterns, all of a sudden you're unable to tolerate certain foods that you were used to, 
uh, and you eat fatty foods and all of a sudden you had, uh, you know, more issues with your bowel movements, uh, that should be maybe a reason for consultation. Um, other things that appear are uh, new onset of diabetes. Um, it doesn't mean every single diabetic patient has been created cancer, but when the pancreas uh, is malfunctioning, it has two components. One of them is the endocrine component, which is the one producing insulin and cortisol. So when there's insulin deficiency, then you uh, become diabetic. So sometimes the diabetes diagnosis uh, predates or correlates with the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. So something to be mindful about. And, uh, and the issue that I mentioned with the bowel movements is because the pancreas helps to digest food. So it produces enzymes uh, that are typically uh, not present when the cancer is not working well uh, because the pancreas is there, it is affected. So um, those are the two things that I always uh, want to mention. And uh, folks who present, you know, with abdominal pain that all of a sudden is just happening every day, uh, a completely new um, uh, symptoms that have didn't happen before, or if you develop jaundice, which is basically when the cancer is encasing those bile ducts. The bilirubin that is produced by the liver gets um, kind of caught up in that process, and that the, there's leakage of the. That leakage leads to uh, the bilirubin going to the bloodstream, and then you start seeing it in your eyes. So you get like yellowing out the eyes of the skin, and we call that jaundice. And it could be what we call pain, painless jaundice, which means you have no pain. It's just simply a change in color in your skin, your sclera, or a darkening of the urine, or whitening of the stool. So uh, those are things that are always a reason for consultation, and not only for pancreatic cancer, but many other things. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So say you you have a family history of pancreatic cancer, or you have a new diagnosis. Um, what role does genomics or genetic testing play in pancreatic cancer? Yes, and that's a very relevant question uh, because. Uh, in the past, we used to treat cancers just based on the site of origin. So, you know, lung cancer, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, and then we have certain drugs just for that uh, specific organ. What we have uh, realized is that there are certain biomarkers or proteins uh, or changes in the DNA of the cancer that we can potentially use as weaknesses uh, that, that the cancer has that we can attack. So precision medicine and, and individualized medicine is all about that, about that, those biomarkers present in the cancer. So if you have diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, we always recommend uh, to get uh, genetic counseling for uh, checking for your individual risk of cancer because it can help you and others. If you have a potential gene such as the Baraka gene, you may be eligible for a drug as a maintenance uh, called ARP inhibitors. Uh, you can also be involved in clinical trials. Uh, that's essential right now. We need research to advance in pancreatic cancer. is one of the most difficult uh, diseases to manage. And you have seen in, you know, Alex Trebek and Ruth Gettysburg and all these, uh, you know, uh, folks that we know in, on TV or, or they're prominent. And despite all the resources in the world, they still uh, succumb to disease. So we need to advance science in that space. And the other part of the biomarkers is what we call genomic testing, which is taking a piece of the DNA of the cancer and then tested for those biomarkers, checking for those mutations that you can attack. Uh, they, there's a number of options that we can potentially offer to our patients, either on label or off label based on that. So what we recommend is know your tumor, understand the disease, understand the DNA, underpinning on the cancer because you may be an exceptional responder to care 
if we uh, find those specific mutations. Uh, so, uh, and sometimes we even do it without having to get a, a needle in your body. Once we have the diagnosis, we can sometimes draw blood. Uh, so you get two samples of blood, the same as your CBC, your CMP, normal labs. And uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, faster than most testing, we get the genomics of the cancer just by drawing a blood sample. So the technology has really evolved a lot. So certainly a lot of places that we can help with this. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I think that's covered most of the questions we had planned. We still have just a couple minutes left, so we'll see if we can get any questions in from our viewers. Um, hopefully they don't stump you with, the, with any of these. Um, so, okay. Okay, so speaking of these tailored treatments, what are the current just standard of care treatments for pancreatic cancer? Right. So in the, um, you know, if someone finds it early, that would be great. Then they get surgery and then you should get some form of chemo, uh, either before or after surgery, because that's proven to be effective these days. Now, if unfortunately it's found as is about the 85% of the cases that is metastatic, then the first thing is getting those biomarkers, uh, running the, uh, options in first line depend all, uh, on based on your performance status and your organ function. So. If, uh, let's say everything checks perfectly and you are, you know, up and about performance status of zero to one, we have two options to use. One of them is a drug concoction called Cofolfirinox, which is basically an acronym for three different drugs, uh, 5-FU, oxaliplatin, hyrogecan. Uh, so, uh, and, and that's given through a pump, you place a port, you get the treatment through a pump every two weeks, uh, and take it from there. The other drug in first line setting that we can give a combination called gemcitabine and not pachytaxel. That's given uh, three weeks in a row and a week off. Uh, the infusion is about three hours uh, uh, for each week and you have a week off in between. We uh, check basically um, scans between six to eight weeks from the first time you start the treatment and we check you off then to make sure your symptoms are well controlled. Uh, in the second line setting, I think clinical trials is the best way to look for this because we really got to help patients. Given in the first line, I think anything that helps uh, optimize the results is it's welcome. Uh, but in clinical trials, if a clinical trial is not available for whatever reason, which I'll be surprised, hopefully we can find something, uh, then uh, you can use, depending on what you started, if you started with cytobine and Apsil, you can go to 5-FU and liposomal or inotecan. That's the, it's called 5-FU and liposomal or inotecan. Uh, if you started with uh, Fulfirinox, then you go to Gemabraxane or Gem, not Pachytax, the second line. And the third line, it's uh, basically whatever you haven't used before, uh, or clinical trials, or based on the biomarkers. So it's a very personalized approach, and hopefully we can help uh, many others with this disease because it's really a, a major unmet. Absolutely. Um, okay. Okay. And what if, okay, let's see. Okay, so we know what the current treatments are. What does the future treatments look like for pancreatic cancer? Yes, there's a number of um, clinical trials that are showing some signals that we should pay attention. I mean, it's not definitive because, you know, everything can change depending on those results on the phase one, two, three. So the phase two clinical trials, the one showing us the final answers. But uh, I think it's gonna be a personalized approach. So first looking at this genomic uh, biomarkers, uh, Pancreatic cancer has a number of biomarkers beyond the BRCA1 and 2. Uh, I had found some patients with uh, something called high tumor mutational burden. 
So pure mutational burden is looking at, you know, it is testing, looking for the genes uh, that are abnormal or not. So it's reading the, you know, the cooking book and you go on page by page and, and see how many typos are in each page of that recipe book. Right. The more typos, the better chances that someone's going to say, huh, this book is not good. They, the recipe is going to look awful. So maybe we should look into it when you awaken the immune system. So uh, patients with high to mutational burden, even though they're not that common, when you find them, they may respond to uh, these immunotherapy drugs. And other things that we're looking now is uh, certain biomarkers such as the KOS mutation, which is a very common mutation in pancreatic cancer. There are new drugs emerging that we can potentially use for those other uh, pills that in my mouth. So um, I'm very, very excited to see how these drugs uh, start working and create cancer, hopefully in a positive way. So uh, all those are, are new things that are happening combinations of chemo and immunotherapy are also going to be part of the future. And interestingly enough, with the advent of COVID-19 and all that, we have learned all these new things about mRNA technologies that before we're not even looked into. So hopefully we can start looking into, you know, oligonucleotides and, and something we call the ASOs or anti-sense oligonucleotides for pancreatic cancer of all the disease types. Uh, and and going to the next era of genomics um, to to fight this cancer. So so that's what I, I envision the future will be, and hopefully we can use technology to solve those questions quicker. Yes, that's a future I want to be a part of. Um, okay, so I think that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on with us. Um, it was a pleasure as always, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. And so that leaves us with the last, but definitely not least, um, expert panelist of the day, Stephanie Tran. Um, she is Massive Bio's very own Chief Customer Delivery Manager. She has her Bachelor's of uh, Public Relations, and she has been in the oncology field for a very long time. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce Stephanie Tran. Hey, Alicia. How are you? Really good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, it's a pleasure as always. Um, and I see that you're the Chief Customer Delivery Manager for Massive Bio. Um, how, long been, yes. how long have you been in the healthcare industry overall? Uh, so I, I initially got involved within the healthcare industry in 2008, um, working in, in cardiology. Um, and then in 2014, I was actually introduced to the clinical research world. Um, dealing, you know, with clinical research trials and and recruitment. So, um, you know, it's it's been a while that I've been in this, um, you know, world of research. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. So you've been around for a little while. You've seen kind of the different sides of the healthcare industry. Yeah. How do you think that's Massive Bio apart? Um, you know, I think that everything that Massive Bio is doing um, is necessary. Um, and it, it's, uh, you know, we're building something very unique, but very beneficial and, and necessary for um, cancer patients as well as their providers. You know, it has, um, we have a lot to offer, um, it, it, a wide variety. And I think we're just going to continue building um, to overall, you know, what the driver is behind Massive Bio and, and everyone who works here um, is creating a world without cancer. Um, and I truly believe that, you know, everything we can do uh, will definitely contribute to to that world someday. That's a world I want to be a part of. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now Massive Bio is a relatively new company. Um, 
what is their mission? What's their driving force? I know you touched on it briefly. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and, and again, it all does circle back to that world without cancer. But, you know, where, how do we build that? Um, and, you know, massive I believes in, you know, every individual getting, you know, equal access to these leading edge therapies and new clinical trials, um, you know, regardless of their financial situation or where they're located. Um, you know, so we truly act as sort of that hub which connects patients um, to these clinical trials easily. Um, so we're helping them find the right trial exactly when they need it, um, as well as continuing to you know, provide a concierge service to these patients and their providers um, throughout the clinical trial enrollment. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to find these trials um, and, uh, and helping patients identify the trials and and guiding them along so that they can receive that that leading edge therapy, um, you know that's that's what we're all about. Absolutely, and I know that clinical research can be a little bit overwhelming um, for patients when they're first kind of getting into their diagnosis. Um, so, what does the the climate for clinical research look like overall? What does oncology clinical trial enrollment look like right now? Um, so, you know, overall, uh, the the clinical trial enrollment in oncology is um, not great right now. Unfortunately, um, there's a lot of um, missing targets when you know we're leading to you know which. I mean, that would lead to like longer trial pipelines, uh, longer processes, processes, which then essentially lead to less safety tested and innovative drugs making it to the market. So, um, you know, we're definitely on a mission to make the clinical trial process more efficient um, with everything that we're doing, um, you know. Enrollment's low right now. There's lack of access, lack of education about clinical trials and about the trial process. Um, and there's a lot of misunderstanding and fear around clinical research. So, you know, Massive Bio recognizes all of this through personal experiences. You know, that's that's what originally drove uh, our CEO, Celine Kernaz, our, and our uh, lead founder. Um, to to start Massive Bio is because um, you know she recognized the uh, inefficiencies within oncology clinical research these days, um, and you know that's that's the driver is helping patients and and getting them to these clinical trials so that we can uh, live in a world without cancer. But we have to we have to have the trials in order to you know find a cure. I think we summed it up perfectly. We want to have a world without cancer, but we have to develop this treatment. And if we're going to develop the treatments, we have to get patients into these trials. Um, so say there's a person at home, a patient or a caregiver or a family member, um, and they want to get involved with clinical research right now. Mm. What is something that they can do? How can they connect with Massive Bio to help connect them with these um, clinical research or clinical trials? Yeah, absolutely. So there are multiple ways um, to get involved with Massive Bio. Um, one of a, a pretty cool and interactive way, uh, we have a cancer quiz and a cancer app actually um, that patients can download and use. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty cool way to just kind of evaluate 
their cancer and, and what they may be able to find out there. Um, you can also connect us directly by phone um, or email or even social media. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a patient advocacy team that's available uh, to tackle any questions that they might have. So obviously, you know, they may come into this if, if a patient's coming directly to us, may ask uh, questions about, um, you know, the process and, and how this works. So we have a patient advocacy team who uh, works as a concierge service really um, in answering any questions for these patients and then collecting all of their records and everything for the patient. Um, so it's it's um, a very simple process and then we'll work to to match them. Um, so, you know, it is a doctor's referral is not necessary to contact Massive Bio. Um, so a, a patient can contact us directly to ask questions or get the process started. Um, you know, and there's other opportunities for oncologists and, and physicians out there who want to get involved um, by offering clinical trial matching to their patients. Um, this is something that more and more providers are taking advantage of because Massive Bio actually takes a lot of the work off of the, the clinical staff um, at these uh, practices and facilities um, so that the doctors and the nurses can actually spend more time with the patients, um, you know, really focusing on their direct patient care. Um, and so Massive Bio can sort of do the work for them in evaluating the patient's records um, and actually pre-screening them and finding a trial for the patient and for the provider to say, you know, here's here's what you can participate in, here's what you qualify for, um, and and send them on their way. So um, there's, there's definitely lots of ways that Massive Bio can interact with both patients and providers out there um, in order to make this uh, you know, a smooth transition and, and um, get more patients enrolled into these clinical trials. That's beautiful. And so like you said, they don't have to have a patient referral. They can come right to Massive Bio um, and that patient advocates kind of hold their hand the whole way. So they're never by themselves. They never have to be confused. They've got access to people answering their questions that, you know, a text message or something like that really quick. Um, that's amazing. Um, and I also really loved what you said about um, connecting with these providers because we know, especially right now, um, some of these clinics are having all of these COVID regulations. They're overworked, they're understaffed. Um, and so Massive Bio is able to step in and take some of the grunt work out of helping connect these patients. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I know we've had, um, we, we've see, unfortunately seen more and more of that where, you know, some of these practices are, they're very busy and very overwhelmed just with the current pandemic situation. Um, and um, thankfully, you know, we have been able to step in and, and assist them in that way. Um, it just, you know, as a service for the now, um, as, and as well in the future, we're continuing to build upon that. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to, you know, the, the patients are getting better service from their provider and they're getting something that, you know, they, they may not have been told about or given access to, um, without, without incorporating these, this clinical trial matching services. So, um, we're definitely, um, you know, spreading the word and, and really getting more and more patients enrolled in, in these necessary trials. Absolutely. I love that. It feels like I was really trying to break down every barrier that 
keeps a patient from that trial. That's beautiful. And so it looks like we have a little bit more time left. I'm going to see if we have any questions coming in that maybe we could answer. Um, so let's give it just a minute and see. Okay. So what is clinical trial matching? So you mentioned the clinical trial matching service. What does that entail? Yeah. So clinical trial matching, um, so NASA Bio has actually built uh, this this world class artificial intelligence platform, um, uh, our Synergy AI platform, um, and it actually you know we're able to uh, you know take patients' medical records and their testing results um, and compare that over you know hundreds of of levels of comparison to match them to any clinical trial that is listed on clinicaltrials.gov. Um, so we're able to evaluate all of that information and then produce a report that then tells us, um, you know, which trials this patient may match to based based upon their their you know cancer type, their status, um, and and records that we were able to gather. Wow! And I get excited anytime I hear about AI or really trying to use technology to our advantage in this industry. And it sounds like Massifio is all about leveraging um, AI technologies and the, for the biotech world. Yeah, it really absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an awesome platform um, and it, it's incredible, you know, for, for Massifio to have built. Uh, but again, it's, it's necessary for us to, and it's just a phenomenal way to be able to quickly identify you know uh, the trials for these patients um, and and get them matched and it's very convenient for both patients and providers um, in providing these trials. That's absolutely beautiful. Okay so that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you so much for coming and telling us about this incredible company. Um, We will hopefully